0: Our Father, we thank you for your love and for gathering your people here together that we might hear from your word, that we might hear you speak to us and that you might speak into our lives, particularly during the storms of life and all the hardships that we go through. Particularly today, Father, we pray that you'd help us to see how our our anchor in conflict is the freedom to humbly love others by the Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, about uh, 10 years ago, I went and bought this uh, really helpful book from our Books. It's the Complete Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. Um, I'll be honest with you, I haven't actually used any of the tips in here for the last 10 years. So I haven't really found myself in any of the scenarios, but it has a whole bunch of really helpful things uh, like how to save your cat from choking. It's got a picture there as well. Uh, or how to escape uh, from an angry gorilla. That's a good one. I'm... Anytime I go to Africa or maybe to the zoo where there's an escapee, I'll be, bear that in mind. Uh, you've got how to retrieve a candy bar stuck in the lunchroom vending machine. I've come very close to using that hot tip, let me tell you. Uh, or how to escape from a car hanging over the edge of a cliff. These are just all the sorts of things you want to kind of bear in mind because you never really know what's going to happen in life. So this is a very useful book. This is a particularly useful one, which is uh, how to disarm an irate golfer, which also also comes with pictures, so the diagrams about what to do. Um, There's all kinds of really, really helpful things in here, just in case you find yourself in the worst case scenario. But the one I want to share with you this morning is how to survive when stuck on a mountain ledge in a blizzard. Uh, I know there are plenty of people here fond of mountaineering and also travelling, and you might find yourself climbing a mountain in the Alps, and so please do pay attention. Uh, so this is how you do survive on a mountain ledge uh, in, a, in a blizzard. Of course, you can't read the writing, it's too small, but let me just give you the headings. The first thing you want to do on that mountain ledge is check the cliff above you, the mountain above you, basically for a build-up of snow that might turn into an avalanche. That's useful. The second thing you want to do is make a guardrail out of some loose rocks or some snow, something that will stop you from rolling off the edge of the cliff just in case you fall asleep. Uh, then you want to build yourself a shelter, basically to keep yourself out of the weather, make sure you can trap in all the body heat. And then you want to anchor yourself to the ledge, basically to prevent yourself being blown off in the gale force winds of a blizzard. And then you want to just stay warm, eat and drink regularly, of course, because you brought those kind of snacks with you. Uh, and then you want to do massage and exercise, which I thought was interesting it's personal massage, I don't think there's any massage therapists on the side of the mountain, uh, but you do this to kind of reduce uh, the incidence of frostbite. So if you look at the next slide, there's even some facial uh, manoeuvres that you can do to kind of prevent frostbite in the different extremities of your face. Uh, and then the last thing you want to do is just wait. Just wait for the blizzard to be over and then either climb down the mountain or up the mountain, depending on which way is closest, I guess, right? So there you go, now you know what to do if you're trapped on the edge of a mountain uh, during a blizzard. Great. Now, I don't just tell you that because I think it's funny. It is funny and also useful. Don't get me wrong, it is useful. Now, I, I think actually that this is a perfect analogy for what this sermon series is trying to achieve. Right? You know, some days life is like walking on a wide open grassy plain with the sun on your back and a, and a light breeze in your face. And on those days, there's no really thought to survival. In fact, this is what you survive to do, to, to enjoy. This is the point of survival for days like that. But other days, life, I think, is like being stuck on a mountain ledge in a blizzard. You know, at any moment, you might succumb to the weather and be blown off the cliff. And on those days, in that season of life, how are you going to survive? You know, what is going to be your anchor? What is going to ground you on those days? What are you going to tie yourself to? You know, when you're perilously close to falling off the edge and being overcome by the storm, what is going to hold you firm? Right, this is what this sermon series is all about and and I just want to kind of set your expectations right so that we're on the same page here. This is not going to be an in-depth exploration into every storm of life, but rather how the followers of Jesus find their footing. You know, what we grip onto and where we anchor ourselves in the hard times of life. And so today we're looking at how we deal with conflict. And again, not a biblical theology of conflict, not everything the Bible has to say about conflict, because there's so much to say about forgiveness and reconciliation and, and our humility and wisdom. And again, this is not a psychological assessment of the common conflict personality types. Uh, Maybe you can remember there's five of them, five different common personality types in conflict. You could be a turtle, a teddy bear, you could be a shark, a fox or an owl. Anyone getting flashbacks to any kind of work, team building, training days in service? Some people, not others, right? Well, those things are really kind of useful and you can talk to me later about them. But our diverse personal experiences of conflict, I think, kind of make it impossible to explore the effect of any particular conflict has on each one of us as individuals. You know, some of you will still acutely, I think, feel the trauma of a specific conflict in the past that seems maybe very present for you. You might even still be reeling from a conflict this week, you know, one at home or at work or perhaps in the schoolyard. You know, so today we want to explore what anchor we have in Christ that will help us to deal with conflict. And even though we won't be able to address your particular stories, I do want to invite you to share and explore those stories in the intimate context of your growth groups, which is one of the reasons why we have growth groups at this church, not just to study the Bible, but also to share life together, to be prayerfully reoriented to God's Word again and again especially as you work through the complexities of forgiveness and reconciliation and what that might look like. Because as followers of Jesus, as his church here gathered, we want to be instruments of God's grace, don't we? You know, we, we want to build grace-filled relationships so that everyone can feel safe to express their fears and their doubts and their concerns and we want to bring Christian encouragement with sensitivity not just pretending that all conflict and all storms are the same for everybody, so that we might thoughtfully point one another to the Lord Jesus and to our Heavenly Father as the source of all our grace in the midst of our storms. You know, So that we might be able to comfort others in the same way that we have been comforted by Him. I think that's an extraordinary vision for the church and God's community and maybe one that's quite daunting for you as you're, you're sitting here a part of this this is a vision that we are well equipped for by God's spirit. And so here, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Uh, and this is our first point. It's not in the outline because there's no outline in your bulletin, but our first point is the freedom to love. So, Galatians chapter 5, 13 to 16. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, just to put this in context this particular passage in Galatians isn't just restricted to addressing the idea of conflict. That's not why Paul primarily wrote this part here. Uh, And there are lots of places, in fact, that we could turn in the Bible that have much to say about dealing with conflict and forgiveness and reconciliation and everything that comes with that. But I think this passage is really important because it does lay out the foundational anchor points for dealing with all Types of conflict, right? It is first and foremost, our anchor is first and foremost, the freedom to love others in humility, right? That's our anchor point. Now, now, maybe it goes without saying for you, but not all conflict, of course, is bad conflict. You know, conflict can be both negative and conflict can be also positive, Now, you might be familiar with uh, a work, a book by a guy called Patrick Lencioni called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Uh, Maybe there's another flashback to a team building exercise at work. No? Maybe, some of you, right? Well, there's five dysfunctions in a team and he argues that a dysfunctional team is one that doesn't have any conflict. Doesn't have conflict. Uh, In fact, he says all healthy and successful groups of people must have conflict among them, right? not just bobble-headed yes-men assenting to everything that is said by others around them. Right? Now, perhaps that runs counterintuitive to your way of thinking, maybe even to your experience, and maybe what you'd love more than anything in the world is to be part of a team at work or maybe on the school P&C or, God forbid, in a group assignment that, that doesn't seem to have any conflict or disagreement. But really, that desire is not for conflict, an absence of conflict. That desire is to avoid negative conflicts. That's what you want in those situations. Now that's the type of conflict that that bites and devours and eventually destroys other people. Now positive conflict, on the other hand, is something that no human being, no groups of human beings can actually live without because, well because we're human. Because we're all different, because we, we make mistakes, because we're not perfect and because two heads are always better than one. And so the paraphrase Lencioni, here's a quote on the screen, positive conflict is the opportunity to disagree with, challenge and question one another, all in the spirit of finding the best answers, discovering the truth and making great decisions together. Now, I think we know the truth of this statement. We know the freedom we experience when you can openly express an idea where you can speak in safety amongst others, knowing that they will challenge and disagree with you if they feel that your idea needs to be improved or maybe rebuked and corrected. And I think if you just kind of scratch below the surface here just just a little bit, I think what you see is the difference between positive and negative conflict is really whether there is humility and love present. Right, The difference is whether you are in conflict with someone who wants to devour you, to conquer you, or perhaps you're in conflict with someone who instead wants the best for you in love. Right? The difference is whether you yourself Engage in conflicts, to devour your opponents, to win an argument, to assert your superiority, or to demonstrate the triumph of your intelligence over their stupidity, or whether you engage in conflict to humbly love the one you are in disagreement with. Right? Can, can you see the difference between positive and negative conflicts? Right? One type of conflict seeks to destroy the other while the other type of conflict seeks to improve the other, even if the conflict can't be resolved in agreement of opinion. You see, this is the freedom that Christ has liberated us for. It's the freedom to not indulge the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in love. And you see, if we had time to kind of work our way through the whole book of Galatians, we would be able to see that the freedom Jesus has given us is a freedom from our slavery to self-justification. It's freedom from justifying ourselves by our own obedience to God's law. In fact, it's a freedom from self-justification through any means, whether it's designed by us or by others. Because we are only justified before God by grace and grace alone. We are only adopted as His beloved children by grace and grace alone. We are only redeemed and are brought from death to life in the spirits by God's grace and grace alone. Right? It's that grace that sits at the heart of Christian identity. And we can't set aside the grace of God because if righteousness can be gained on your own, if righteousness can be gained by any other means apart from Christ, well then Jesus died for nothing. And you don't need him. Instead, you are entirely responsible yourself for shaping your own identity. You are entirely responsible for securing your usefulness in the company you keep or the community you're a part of, you are entirely responsible for your own credibility and your own status amongst your peers. And that is a slavish way to live. It means that whenever you come into conflict with another person, another human being, you either gain approval or you lose face with them. Every conflict then becomes about defence or attack. But those who are anchored in Christ, those who have their identity secure in his grace, well, they are given a freedom to serve others humbly in love without the anxiety or the need to constantly defend yourself. Now, isn't that a much more liberating way to live? Now, you can endure the negative conflict that is brought upon you by others You can even demonstrate love in the face of aggressive conflicts, because Christ has set you free from all those weak and miserable and childish games. And you can engage in positive conflict with others because you are liberated from justifying yourself before God and man so that now you can concentrate on wanting the best for others in love, even for your enemies. Right, this is true humility. Now, humility is the freedom to focus on others because your identity is secure in Christ. Right, often I think um, we presume that pride is the opposite of humility. But actually pride isn't the opposite of humility. The opposite of humility is a focus on the self, which for some people means either they focus on themselves in boastful praise, arrogance, they want to show you how good they are, but for others it might be an excessive criticism of themselves. And Can you see how both of those things are two sides of the same coin? They're both the opposite of humility, even though one is boastful and one is critical, because they both focus in too much on the self. No, true humility, rather, is the freedom to focus on others instead of yourself because you are secure in Christ. And so here's the tough question. How do you use your freedom, the freedom that Christ has called you to, in the face of conflict? Do you engage in negative conflict to secure your own need for affirmation? Do you need to triumph in conflict in order to be justified and validated amongst your peers? Or do you engage in positive conflict to humbly love those you are in disagreement with? That's the first tough question. I guess what I'm asking is, are you a safe person to speak openly with? Here's the second tough question. How do you respond to the negative conflict, from others. Are you able to respond from a position of secure identity in Christ? Or do you find yourself responding with hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factionalism and envy? I guess what I'm asking here is, are you anchored in the flesh or are you anchored in the spirit? And here is our second point we're going to turn to Galatians chapter 5 and verses 16 to 26, anchored in the flesh or the spirit. Because this is the fundamental dynamic at work here. Let's have a look from verse 16. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is... Right In the theology of Paul in Galatians, there are really only two spheres of life that you can operate in. You either live in the realm of the flesh or you live in the realm of God's spirit. Right, and of course, the flesh here, as Paul is using it in this context, doesn't mean your, your bodily existence, your, your flesh and bone, because of course the Lord Jesus came in the flesh. No, it's talking about the flesh like a whole life package, Almost like belonging to an ideology that shapes everything about who you are and how you behave. A bit like belonging as a citizen to a certain kingdom with all its customs and its culture being defined by those things. That's what it's talking about when it says the flesh. Think of the realm of the flesh. It's talking about the flesh as a way of life, a way of life that is defined by its opposition to the Spirit of God a way of life that is self-empowering and self-justifying and, of course, a way of life that comes with all the oppression of being enslaved to other people's opinions of you and the anxiety of securing your own future and having to realise your own ambitions and dreams. And amongst other things in verses 19 to 21, all that way of life does is lead you towards negative conflicts. To rivalry, factionalism, dissent, discord, envy, anger, you can see them in that list there. Uh, It leads to the exploitation of others, to the advantage of your own values and desires. Uh, It leads, verse 21, to the exclusion from God's kingdom of life and freedom. But on the flip side, those who live by the Spirit are free from those weak and miserable and childish games. In the pattern of the Lord Jesus himself, the Spirit produces fruit that enables positive conflict and positive responses to negative conflict. Those who live as citizens in the Kingdom of God and as children of the King, they are empowered by the Spirit to produce Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Now this is the fruit of the Spirit for all of those who are anchored in Christ. And these are the same virtues, aren't they, that we see in the life of Jesus, who walked powerfully in step with the Spirit, who radically loved his enemies, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, who was secure in the peace of God's favour, who patiently bared up under the scoffs and ridicules of his detractors, who acted in kindness for the benefit of others, even his enemies, and who demonstrated his goodness by his generosity towards others, and who was faithful and gentle and self-controlled in both word and deed. And Jesus did all these things. He responded and acted this way because he was empowered by the Spirit. The same spirit that the Lord Jesus gives us. The same spirit that empowers us to follow and walk his path. To stay firm, to stay secure and anchored throughout any storm of life. And So rather than give way to fear, rather than be enslaved to the weak and miserable patterns of this age being anchored in the spirit enables us to respond to conflict as Jesus did now i don't know about you but i find it all too easy all too tempting sometimes to get sucked into a group frenzy of rage right especially online which is why i like to try and keep a bit of distance with social media it's just it's too easy just to pile on right a big stacks on with another big group of people because right, there's a real sense of security and belonging being part of a group that is united in its opposition against another, especially when that opposition feels righteous. And I think we all kind of know in real life as well. You know that that person who loves to have a little whinge, and you can't find you can't help yourself but kind of being drawn in to join them in that whinging, right? Even if you don't fully agree with what they're saying, it just feels... It's too tempting just to kind of jump on and just, let's talk about our disagreement. Yeah, that's oh, Sorry, I hate that as well, right? You find yourself being sucked into that vortex because there's a, there's a real seductive sense of power in that. A seductive sense of power by stepping in to perhaps rescue a perceived victim and then joining in with persecuting their persecutors. Well, I think you know that wonderful sense of affirmation you feel almost as if the whole cosmos is on your side while you mount your righteous crusade. It feels like there are so many invitations to create or to add to the drama of conflicts in so many unhelpful ways, in the ways of the flesh. But we also know how fickle and fleeting and how deeply unsatisfying those ways are. That leaves a horrible taste in your mouth after you leave that conversation where you've just whinged about someone or something. They're not the ways that lead to life and freedom. They're the ways that lead to death and to slavery. Instead, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. No longer are we trying to anchor ourselves in self-dependence or self-justification. Instead, we are anchored in the grace of Christ. No longer do we accept the invitations to be conceited, provoking and envying one another in that competitive rivalry that the world so loves, verse 26. Instead, we live in freedom to serve one another humbly in love. And So, as you think about your own experience with conflicts, here are the tough questions. Where do you find yourself indulging the passions of the flesh when you engage with conflict? It's hard, right? I oh, know I didn't need to be so smug in that argument, but I just love being right and I love it when other people know how right I am, Right? Oh, I guess I didn't need to be so harsh in taking that person down a peg or two but you know she's always so clever and she's always right and she knows it too. I think this was good for her for me to behave that way. But can, you, can you think of the ways that you engage with conflicts? and where are you tempted just to indulge in those passions of the flesh, those desires though they might feel good in the moment actually lead us away from the kingdom of life and are contrary to the Spirit? Instead, perhaps let's ask ourselves, how can we engage in conflict in the way that Jesus did? Right? And as you think about the way you do engage with conflict, what are the anchor points that you need to work on most? You know, maybe you just need to have a deeper, richer understanding of salvation by grace and grace alone. Maybe you need to address a long-term inclination to keep playing the rescuer for everyone else. Maybe even you're the rescuer for you. Again, salvation by grace and grace alone. Or maybe you just need to keep expanding your capacity to love. And don't we all need to work on that? Because our anchor in conflict is our freedom to humbly love others by the Spirit. That's the sort of church that God has created us to be. That's what he's given us his Spirit for. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. And Father, we do pray that you'd help us to live as people in the realm of the Spirit, not in the realm of the flesh. Help us not to indulge in the sinful passions and desires of the flesh, but to instead produce the fruit of the Spirit. Father, we ask that by your grace you would continue to reorient us towards you and our identity in Christ, that we might be free to have love and joy and peace and forbearance, so we might have self-control and goodness and kindness so that we might be able to do that not in the, the instances of positive conflict, in improving one another, but also in the face of negative conflict, in the face of aggression, in the face of those things, that, those storms in life that threaten to kind of blow us off the edge. Father, in those moments, please help us to be well anchored in the Spirit and to respond as the Lord Jesus did in the face of every and any conflict. And we pray this in his name. Amen.